welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this uh, fine Monday afternoon? Doing well. I think I mentioned I was traveling to Philadelphia this weekend, which was a great time. Although they became the first city in, in the history of major sports to lose two championships in the same day. Uh, shout out to Philadelphia Union uh, and, and the Philadelphia Phillies. So maybe I'm bad luck. I don't know, but it, it was fun otherwise. That is, uh, yeah, at least the Eagles are, are undefeated. So Philly's certainly got that going for them. Uh, somewhat speaking of Philly, because that's where Frank Reich came from, the Indianapolis Colts fired head coach Frank Reich after a fairly dismal performance on Sunday against the New England Patriots. Uh, they have hired Jeff Saturday as their interim head coach. Jeff Saturday was apparently serving as some sort of consultant for the Colts beyond serving as an ESPN analyst. He's a former high school head coach, uh, seemingly doesn't have any other credentials to be named an NFL head coach. But uh, let's start things off first with the Frank Reich firing. I, this is pretty surprising. You know, heading into the season, I believe that the Colts' win total was 10 and a half. There were high hopes for the Colts. They were certainly supposed to be playoff contenders. They are now 3, 5, and 1. Uh, they replaced Matt Ryan as head coach, putting Sam Ellinger in there. They fired Marcus Brady as offensive coordinator. Neither one of those things improved the team. So really the next step was to fire Frank Reich. So initial thoughts on Frank Reich being out in Indianapolis. Like you said, they actually were favored to make the playoffs, but very slightly, but, you know, minus, I think, 120 or something like that to make the playoffs, whether that be winning the AFC South or getting the wild card. You know, it is, of course, surprising, I think, because he is a you know highly regarded coach, but they are dead last right now in EPA per play. Of course, that has plenty to do with their quarterback situation. For some reason, their offensive line that's, you know, the most expensive in the NFL is just bad for whatever reason. Um, it's interesting because I do wonder, again, another very highly regarded guy in Chris Ballard, a general manager. I mean, you've never figured out quarterback. Granted, Frank Reich, I think, did push for Wentz. And maybe, you know, Jim Ursay was upset about that. But you've never addressed left tackle after, after Anthony Costanzo left, a great player. Yeah, it's going to come back to bite you. Those positions kind of matter, uh, it turns out. You, know, you can have a $20 million per year guard and off-ball linebacker. Not going to win you football games necessarily. So... I wonder if what well, the situation is like there. Does he maybe get one more shot to hire another coach? Is he going to be forced to use their first-round pick on a quarterback prospect and stop kind of punting this decision on the most important position in all of sports? But, you know, end of the day, not shocking. But, you know, it's going to be hard for them, I think, to necessarily upgrade a head coach depending on the direction they want to go. Yeah, I wonder what would have to happen throughout the rest of the season now for Chris Ballard to either keep his job, lose his job, um, I guess we'll find out. There's a press conference, I believe, at 6. I, I'm curious to see what Jim Mercer has to say about the GM position at this point because that was one of the reactions from around the league. I was talking to people around the league about you know, Frank Reich being fired, Jeff Saturday coming in as head coach, and one person did say that you know Chris Ballard is just as culpable as Frank Reich. They, they have four years to find Andrew Luck's replacement. Uh, they certainly still do not have that quarterback position settled. As you said, um, you know, this person also said the offensive line is a disaster. The skill positions are pretty average outside of Jonathan Taylor. And even Jonathan Taylor hasn't been great this season. Uh, Michael Pittman is a is a decent wide receiver. He's certainly not among the upper echelon of true number one wide receivers around the NFL. Uh, Alec Pierce has shown you know, some improvement this season. But, I, I mean, one of, one of my questions here is whose ultimate decision was it 
to turn to Sam Ellinger. And maybe that gets answered at some point today, too, because if it was Frank Reich's decision, then that situation, that, that decision certainly came back to bite him because Sam Ellinger has not looked ready to be an NFL starting quarterback over the last two weeks. Um, I, I tweeted about this today. The Colts had the lowest EPA per play in a single game all season on Sunday against the New England Patriots. And number two was the Indianapolis Colts in week two when Matt Ryan was still the quarterback. So I think that just goes to show how much that Colts offense is struggling this season. But I don't know how you watch Sam Ellinger in practice every day. You watch Matt Ryan, you watch Nick Foles, you watch Sam Ellinger and say, okay, this is the guy that we want to start. This is the guy that's going to save Frank Reich's job. This is the guy that's going to start the season because I watched week eight pretty closely. I watched week nine really closely because I was doing a Patriots related podcast after the game. And I mean, Sam Ellinger looks even more lost than Zach Wilson did under pressure on pretty much every snap back there. Where, so the first point is I go back to the general manager, right? I mean, also, uh, you know, some of the things they've done, using a second-round pick on, hey, a Vandy guy and Deo Odiengbo, but still, like, taking risks when you're not very good. We've seen teams like the Baltimore Ravens do that with David Ajabo, kind of a very similar situation. You know, you can get creative in how you build your roster, but I think maybe in some ways acting as though he had a better situation than he truly did um, and, and not, you know, finally addressing, of course, quarterback and tackle will get you there. But then, yeah, the Ellinger point is interesting, too. I think maybe a catalyst for this was last night. We're all sitting there. The Kansas City Chiefs, which, yes, the Colts did somehow beat this year. But you have Malik Willis, who basically is making his second start. and It wasn't even 100% sure to start this week. And he looked okay. I mean, he did take some ugly sacks. He still holds the ball way too long. But made some decent throws. He has no receiver talent, literally zero receiver talent. They had zero catches in the game. Um, but I just think looked more competent than Sam Ellinger did. Looked more game-ready, more prepared, less less frazzled. And I think maybe that Ursay sat there and said, that's what a good coach can do. They just took the Kansas City Chiefs to overtime with a bunch of injuries all across their roster. So now, therefore, I'm not going to give my guy the excuse of, oh, he's missing these pieces or these guys are hurt or yada, yada, yada. Well, so were Mike Vrabel's, and he almost just beat the best team in football, you know, in overtime. So, Yeah, and I mean, it, just to even get to the point where, as I mentioned, you're four years after Andrew Locke. You, your starting quarterback gets injured, and you say, okay, we're going to turn to – our third string to start the season, uh, you know, backup at that point. But that that backup, that that guy to turn to is either Nick Foles on his millionth chance or a guy who was drafted in the sixth round last year who, granted, had a good preseason. But like I said, I mean, he's been looking lost out there. Uh, Colts couldn't get anything going on offense. The Patriots were almost similarly atrocious on offense on Sunday. And it, it was a drubbing. The Patriots beat them 26 to three. And that just goes to show you how bad the Colts offense was. Uh, let's get into the Jeff Saturday piece of this news. And I mean, I, I thought that it would ultimately come down to either Gus Bradley, who's the Colts defensive coordinator, who's got head coaching experience, or John Fox, who's a senior defensive analyst or consultant or whatever it was. I mean, like you can't really find that many teams around the NFL who have a well, a former head coach with the experience that John Fox has on their coaching staff and has another coach on the coaching staff with other head coaching experience. And they go out of left field, uh, maybe even not left field. They, they basically went out of like the stands, the bleachers to hire Jeff Saturday as their head coach. And I think that my number one reaction to this is just like being an NFL coach is hard. Like these guys work. 12, 16 hours a day. They don't see their families. It takes forever to rise up the ranks. 
of, of the NFL coaching, you know, ladder and everything like that. And then you hire a guy who his only coaching experience was in high school. It's kind of a slap in the face to everyone within that organization who has much better credentials than Jeff Saturday. Thing too is a former teammate of his is actually on the staff already in Reggie Wayne, the wide receivers coach. So if you want to say, hey, it's kind of a gimmicky move. We're just getting an interim, you know, rah-rah guy in place to finish out the season. Really, we're not going to keep him on. It's it's more about just getting ready for next year. You could still probably do that with the Reggie Wayne and give a guy that is proven he wants to be in the coaching sphere a right. shot to have that interim opportunity and see what he can do with it. So yeah, it, it is a bit weird. You know, Jack Easterby obviously no longer with the Texans, but but he's probably sitting there saying, hey, everyone made fun of me for Josh McCown, and he arguably even made more sense than Jeff Saturday. So, you know, it, it, it is. It, it's a bit insulting, I would imagine. I'm sure there are a lot of people around the NFL who are frustrated by it right now. I tend to believe it's you – know, he was in the, in the town last week to help induct teammates to the Ring of Honor. He's a consultant or whatever the case may be. When he goes on ESPN and there's people retweeting his old tweets. They're, I think they're going to run the ball 700 times in this game. Uh, I don't think he likes throwing the ball that much. There's a video of him and Peyton Manning yelling at each other on the sideline. So it's going to be a very simple offense. I think we know what we're going to see there. I know you pointed out they do have an offensive play caller on the staff. Adam Schefter said they did not have one. Granted, it was five years ago as an interim offensive play caller for the Jaguars. But nevertheless, it is kind of silly. And I do wonder to a certain point, I keep coming back to, if I'm Stephon Gilmore, I mean, the trade deadline's passed now, but he wasted a really good last or later year of his career on just, a, you know, a circus at this point in Indianapolis. Yeah, that, that coach that's on their staff that uh, that does have some play-calling experience is Scott Milanovich, um, former Maryland, University of Maryland quarterbacking legend. He was also you know, a head coach in the CFL, an offensive coordinator in the, in the CFL. They've also got um, Scotty Montgomery, who's the running backs coach. He was a coordinator and a head coach at the college level. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess, like I said, we might find out at that press conference who's actually going to wind up being the interim offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, whatever you want to want to call that position. Um, but it's been interesting to me that that has not been announced, that there's been no reports about it. Um, so that's another one where I'm wondering, like, is this going to be another hire out of left field where they pull some guy off the street to be their new offensive play caller? Um, I, I don't really know what happens there. And like you said, yeah, it could be a simplistic offense. could be no offense at all if they pull in a guy who's got no play calling experience. But um, I forgot who it was who, who threw this out there. But it seems like this could wind up being an audition for Jeff Saturday to be the head coach. And I don't know why you would make this move if that wasn't the case. I don't think that you pull a guy off the street to be your head coach unless you believe that he could actually wind up doing the job long term. Um, I have seen some people say that this is their attempt at tanking. I think you'd probably take a different approach to tanking than than making a move that is drawing a lot of, you know, some anger and some laughs around the NFL right now. You try to be quiet about it, right? Yeah, you just right. promote someone that maybe you don't think is the greatest candidate. I don't think you, yeah, kind of become the laughing stock of the day. I think it's funny. I'm excited for the next Manning cast. I'm sure he'll talk about his old buddy Jeff Saturday and probably yeah. prop him up, but I'm just curious what he says to any degree, if we get anything interesting there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, with the three wins they already have, and I guess the tie as well, they, they're not in a great position to be drafting super, super high right now. That, of course, can change, especially with, you know, Jacksonville winning a game and being in their division, having games in hand against them. You know, Houston is awful. Maybe they throw some games against Houston or whatever the case may be. I guess they already did tie them. That's where both of their ties come from. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just I don't know if it's a tank move. I honestly think also he might say, okay, the one thing I do know is I spent a whole lot of money on Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith. Jeff, can you come in here and just yell at those guys and tell them, show them your ring until they start playing better football or something? Um, but outside of that, it's it's hard to tell exactly what the plan is in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think I think Kevin Mawai is a coach on staff there. Like they've got a, a decent amount of former NFL players right now. One guy who's on the who I think said was not going to coach this year, uh, but is out there is John DiFilippo. Um, he was actually on the same Eagles staff as Frank Reich. So at least you know I don't know I don't know if there would be any possibility that he could come on. He's just an, an interesting name that's still out there that could run maybe a similar system than what Frank Reich was uh, was running with the Indianapolis Colts. But uh, I guess we'll probably find out at that press conference or at some point this week who's actually going to wind up being the offensive coordinator uh, in Indianapolis. Any other thoughts on the Colts before we move on to our uh, Around the Wire segment here? Yeah, you know, I, I think we covered the, the full spectrum. I mentioned, I mentioned Mike Vrabel. He's the last coach now of that 2018 cycle that is still an active coach. Uh, I think that move got a little bit of – kind of negativity around it and he is up there top five coach in the nfl probably i i think my last thought here is that teams move on from head coaches too fast i i know that like when it's not working it's not working you want to make a change you want to appease the fan base you don't want everyone to lose faith in you but i don't know some of these guys i feel like deserve a, a longer shot and the you know people are asking like people have asked me you know is josh mcdaniels gonna get fired or whatever it is it's like Guys, it's been half a season. Like, there's a reason why these coaches were hired in the first place. Give them a shot to to prove why they were hired. Um, and I think that I, I kind of believe that about Frank Reich right now as well. I just gotta say, he's pledged. Speaking of Josh McDaniels, that is the game this Sunday. I would say this: if he loses to Jeff Saturday and whoever's calling plays, I think Mark Davis might pull the trigger there. Even though I agree with you, it'd be crazy. Derek Carr's comments after that game. You know, there's a lot we need to talk about or a lot I want to address. I'm not going to say it here at the podium, uh, but it'll be spoken behind closed doors. They blow their third 17-point lead. That's a whole conversation for a different day. But that makes that this, this Sunday's matchup, Raiders-Colts, extremely intriguing, as bad as the football on the field might actually be. And don't forget that uh, Josh McDaniels was going to become head coach of the Colts in 2018 yep. before he walked away from that opportunity. That's why Frank Reich went there in the first place. There's a whole slew of... Uh, changes in Philadelphia that transpired because of that. But Philadelphia is in good shape right now with Nick Sirianni. Uh, the Colts are still looking for that long-term answer at quarterback and at head coach now. Uh, one other last thought. If you had woke me up this morning and said a head coach is going to get fired, who's it going to be? Probably would have guessed Cliff Kingsbury over Frank Reich. I think that in the, uh, Arizona should be gauging interest of a Frank Reich. He usually works with 6'4 and plus only quarterbacks, but – Look, he's a, he's a top five guy in our play caller metric. People ask us a lot, do we track that? Yes, we track basically EPA per play and other metrics. We compare the talent level we think people have on the roster to their actual production. And the last five years, he has top five in, that, in some of those metrics for us because he's been getting a lot out of Philip Rivers and Carson Wentz and, and so on and so forth. Obviously, ended very poorly here, but he's a good coach. I think we can all say he's, he's a good coach. One thing that's funny about the Cardinals – they always seem to be yelling at each other on the sideline. Like there's like, like Kyler Murray always seems mad. DeAndre Hopkins always seems mad. Cliff Kingsbury always seems mad. And clearly things are not working great there right now. Uh, we'll see how long all of that lasts in Arizona. Uh, but certainly they seem to be more patient there than they were in Indianapolis. Uh, big injury this week. Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen suffered what appeared to be an elbow injury. 
late in their loss, shocking loss to the New York Jets. New York Jets, six and three. Buffalo Bills, six and two. They've matched each other in the, in the win column at this point, which is pretty wild. Uh, but based on reports, seems like this isn't something that should keep Josh Allen from playing. Uh, but there were there was like at least one throw at the end of the game there that Josh Allen basically fired into the ground where it seemed like his elbow was affecting him a little bit. I think the thing with him, too, is, look, we're always going to have quarterbacks that run the football, and there's always going to be people who try to use it as a negative. Justin Fields set a record in the game. He did not get hit nearly as many times as Josh Allen did. He was taking big hits. He was diving. He was lowering the shoulder. He got crunched four or five times in this game, and I think they have to, if that was why this injury happened, coach that out of his game. I mean, you say, hey, look, we still need to take off. We're still going to QB sneak you and stuff like that, but you're seeking out contact as the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, we simply can't have it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a massive injury. And then also just that we're on the Bills, Gregory Rousseau, 84 pass rush grade for us, top 10 in, in pass rush win rate, apparently is week to week with the injury himself. So not only just a loss to the Jets, their second loss in the division, but some big injuries to the Buffalo Bills as well. Definitely. One problem with, with Allen and, you know, maybe not taking off as much. He's like out there laddering lateral or, uh, you know, jumping over people and everything like that, hurdling people. He brings so much value as a runner, though. I know he is one of the best passers in the NFL. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But, you know, one of the reasons why the Bills were able to stay in that game yesterday was because of his running ability. So it's tough to completely take it out of him. Maybe just say, like, save it for the playoffs, save it for when you actually need it. Um, but, yeah, he does get drilled a lot out there. He does take a lot of hits. Uh, another even bigger injury from this weekend, uh, Green Bay Packers pass rusher Rashawn Gary reportedly tore his ACL. You know, we've been talking about the Packers as a candidate to be trading for a wide receiver, to signing Odell Beckham Jr., we might be at the point of no return for the Packers at this point where this is just a lost season for them. And at this point, if Odell Beckham Jr. has other offers on the table, I don't really understand why he would go to the Packers. That, that looks like a lost cause there in Green Bay. It'd be a waste of his time. No, they're done. This is, for me, put a, put a fork in them. This is the yeah. end of the Packers season. Rashawn Gary is third for us in, in pressure percentage this season, just under 20% of dropbacks. He has at least three quarterback pressures in every game this season. He's the best defensive player for them by a decent margin. It has some good defensive players. And then also in that game, you have Romeo Dobbs out four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain, basically the best wide receiver for the team. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, I, I think they are beyond the point of return. Look, now that I'm saying this, of course, in typical, you know, if you're an NFC North fan and you celebrate the downfall of Aaron Rodgers, is going to win 10 games in a row. But yeah. they're just, uh, they're not going to make, I think, significant noise in the playoffs. They're just not good enough. Um, they also lost Eric Stokes in that game. Uh, he got carted off. David Bakhtiari again left for the knee thing. I don't think his is as serious, but you know it's always those knee issues for him. Yeah, I mean he's good on the list. They're just they're running out of good players, um, and you know they're three and six to begin with. I this is another conversation for another day, but we do have a slightly lighter show today. If by some chance, because he hasn't committed to playing next season, if Aaron Rodgers retired after the season. I, I'm not sure how much you've looked into this, but what would be the salary cap implications for the Packers at that point? So it's about $40 million in dead cap for if he retires because they wouldn't exercise this $58 million option. I know it's super confusing. I know we try our hardest at Over the Cap and other sites to show you. It's not going to show correct right now. It's the it's one of the most complicated contracts in the entire NFL, maybe in the history of the NFL. But long answer short, $40 million dead. It is, you know, obviously a bit of an albatross for them. 
But yeah, they would have to, you know, kind of hit the reset button because they have other big kind of bloated. I mean, I don't think David Bakhtiari would return in 2023 in that situation either. Um, yeah. You know, they do have good young talent, but Elton Jenkins due for an extension. Rashawn Gary, in theory, was due for an extension. Like, even their great young players, most of them are now supposed to become expensive players because they've played well. Yeah, it does make me wonder if that's – now, I know that the Packers say that they were in on all these wide receivers, but if you don't really know Aaron Rodgers' future at this point – I don't know if you want to give up a ton of future picks to trade to win now if you don't actually be, believe that you can win now. So that will be another fascinating situation this offseason. Lots of Aaron Rodgers drama incoming. Uh, another injury from over the weekend on a bye. Giant safety Xavier McKinney broke his hand on an ATV in Cabo. Not great. Not what you want to see. Uh, he is now on the non-football injury list because – uh, riding around on, on an ATV in Cabo is is not a football injury. Yeah, probably won't earn those salaries for those weeks. I think week 10 to 13. I'm, they're not going to avoid his guarantees or anything, I would imagine. Um, you know, a good young player. It sounds like they trust him. You know, it, it was kind of a freak thing. But, hey, the Giants and water sports just simply do not get along. The curse continues. Uh, if I was a Giants player, before the season ends, stay away from boats. Stay away from ATVs in Cabo. I know you said it was a guided tour. I was chuckling at that. I'm sure it was very guided. They guided you to the margarita stand, and they guided you to go do wheelies in the parking lot. But nevertheless, you know, I'm sure it was a fun buy. We look, hey, they're playing good football. They deserve it. Um, but, yeah, a tough situation. I mean, that, that safety rotation they've had has been a big part of their defense being very successful. He's a big part of it. Can do a lot. Ever since he came back from injury, his rookie year has been an impact player. Can come down to the box, make plays behind a lot of scrimmage. Can do a lot of different things. So, Always unfortunate to see. Hope he's, hope he's not too banged up from the, the ATV spill. Uh, next piece of news off our Fresh Off the Wire segment. Cowboys entering the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. Mike McCarthy was talking about it today on Monday. I feel like at this point, like half of the teams around the NFL have been mentioned uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. Cowboys are definitely a fascinating one. I know I've said the Ravens are fascinating in the, in the past. Um, certainly the Giants could use a wide receiver if he came in cheap enough on this season. That would be an interesting one. But um, thoughts on the Cowboys for Odell Beckham Jr.? Yeah, I think first at a high level, this could be another new trend we see that I think changes the complexity of how the NFL you know works. So obviously, trade deadline is brand new. It is a new frontier for the NFL. Those Dallas Cowboys were apparently pretty close to acquiring Brandon Cooks, which I think if they went ahead and spent a second-round pick to bring in an expensive Brandon Cooks after trading away Amari Cooper for a fifth, the optics there would have been terrible. But I think more players, and, and funnily enough, I think Michael Gallup of the Dallas Cowboys may be a decent example more players that have here. Let's go back to Rashawn Gary. If you're him, let's say you were entering free agency instead of going into your fifth year option your next year. Do this, right? Sit out, wait. There's always going to be contending football teams that not only provide you an opportunity for, hey, make some money, play half the season, then hit free agency, maybe get paid again. And yes, of course, there are risks involved, but it's also a showcase because now, look, we were probably talking Rams and Packers, and neither of those teams are on the table. I think Buffalo really badly needs Odell Beckham Jr. And the yeah. Cowboys do need him. He brings a different skill set than CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. He's a true, you know, man-to-man separator, can do different things. But yeah, there's always going to be need. There's always going to be teams that strike out at the trade deadline and want to make that late last push. Um, and hey, if you're Odell Beckham Jr., your, your, your phone is, is sitting there, your price is going up, you're in no rush. Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, yeah, the Bills... Certainly on Sunday when they were losing the New York Jets, 
looked like they needed an Odell Beckham Jr. out there, or at least some other wide receiver that Josh Allen could depend on because uh, Gabe Davis has got a ton of skill, but that hasn't necessarily translated to consistent production yet. Obviously, Stephon Diggs, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but Dawson Knox has not been overly productive. They go out and sign Naheem Hines. We'll see how much he can acclimate into the offense over the stretch run here. But, um, yeah, the Bills and uh, – bunch of other teams out there could certainly use i mean look at the titans the titans have a have a winning record right now they almost beat the the kansas city chiefs i don't think they're necessarily going to be super bowl contenders but aj brown is out there clowning them on twitter about how no wide receivers could get open last night and yeah it was an issue like malik willis probably could have made some plays last night uh, in overtime if they had any semblance of a wide receiver who could get open um and certainly it doesn't help that you know they've had some injuries and some other stuff there but yeah, they're another team that could certainly use Odell Beckham Jr. in their offense. Carolina Panthers have decided on a starting quarterback for Thursday night's game against the Falcons, and it's going to be P.J. Walker. Um, P.J. Walker was great two weeks in a row. He was about as atrocious as he could possibly be um, during Sunday's game. So it's not Baker Mayfield who came in and actually played pretty well uh, for the Panthers. It's not Sam Darnold who was activated off of injured reserve. It is going to be P.J. Walker. I think this is just like, you know, us talking about Indianapolis and Matt Ryan and the financial implications there. Um, if uh, Baker Mayfield plays 70% or more of snaps, the pick going to Cleveland is a fourth rounder instead of a fifth rounder. Your season's already over if you're Carolina, even though I know they're like probably a game out of the division. But your season's over. They, they know that. So what's the point in kind of, you know, going down that road? He also, Baker Mayfield can earn more incentives, do different things. And frankly, P.J. Walker, I think, deserves – a little bit of leeway, a little bit of run of, hey, you had a couple of good games. I know he leads us right now in big-time throw rate. I know right now, um, after, after last week, he's also in the top of the list in turnover-worthy play rate. So he's kind of on that Heineke spectrum, but he's giving us some entertaining games. Um, you never know what you're going to get out of him. But no, I think all jokes aside, he deserves to play some more games here. They also went ahead and fired a couple more coaches on the defensive side of the ball after this game, just continuing to kind of turn everything over in Carolina. Um, but hey, Atlanta at Carolina Thursday night. It's going to be the classic. Oh, I can't believe we're all watching this. I hate football. And then we're all going to belly up to the TV and watch every last minute of it. At least I know I am. I, I really don't like the people who complain about watching football. Like I, I know that sometimes you could probably go look back to my tweets and maybe I've complained about it. But it's like, listen, we only get football for what is it like twenty weeks out of the year. I watch every single second that I can. I'm never turning on the Xbox, the PlayStation, or, any, or anything midway through a game. I'm watching it in full, and I will watch that Panthers-Falcons game in full on Thursday, just like I will watch tonight's Ravens-Saints game in full on Monday night. Uh, one other piece of news, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Elijah Mitchell, the 49ers running back, does need to return off of injured reserve. That will certainly help the 49ers. Obviously, they they traded for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but, you know, with Jeff Wilson now with the Miami Dolphins, adds another dependable running back there for the 49ers. Huge. Yeah, Jeff Wilson was productive in Miami. I think he actually out-touched uh, yeah. Raheem Mostert in that game. He had a nice uh, catch on a little kind of, um, you know, crosser to score a touchdown. Uh, Miami it was kind of just doing whatever the heck they wanted on offense the entire game. But, yeah, no, Wilson fit in right away. Mike McDaniel, obviously familiar with him. And I do. As, as Obviously, as phenomenal as McCaffrey is, as much as he can play, you know, every snap in a game, he's been doing it for a long time. You want to spell him occasionally with an Elijah Mitchell. Um, and I think they're going to run rough shot over the L.A. Chargers. But we'll, we'll get into that more in a later in the week. Absolutely. All right. Let's take a break. PFFY is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Will you focus on your roster moves? Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. 
buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Now is also a good time to remind you to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Spotify or Apple if you would prefer to listen to us in the car or anything like that. The, the links are down there somewhere in the description. Um, let's get into our next segment here. One up, one down uh, from this weekend's slate of games. Brad, I'll kick it off to you first. Who's your one player up from this weekend? Do you know where I'm going with this one? I think anyone in the world knows where I'm going with this one. Uh, that is the one and only Justin Fields of your Chicago Bears. Uh, I mean, look, he set a record for the most rushing yards in a game for a quarterback in a regular season game of all time. He had the most first downs with his legs uh, for a quarterback in any game ever. Also threw three touchdown passes, two of which I thought were nice balls. The third to Cole Komet was a... You know, him running the same play that he actually ran against Washington or a very similar play um, where he missed that throw to Ryan Griffin, their other tight end, kind of run the same thing, a delayed fake handoff and turn around and hit, hit the tight end on the right side of the end zone. So it wasn't just his legs. Everyone's going to focus on that. The stats are all there. Only threw for about 130 yards through the air. But a handful of nice throws. The ball to Darnell Mooney was a big-time throw. He actually had his first game for us with multiple big-time throws. And last year – Ton of turnover when he plays, but he did also have a lot of big time throws. Now, kind of way fewer of both, at least through the air. Still struggles with some fumbles and some sack issues, but he is starting to stack some good performances together. You are seeing this thing come together in real time. Miami's defense honestly has been underwhelming. It's not a great unit and, and probably should be better than it is, but nevertheless, I mean, he was just dominant. He was the best athlete on the field in this game and shared the field with Tyreek Hill. And I still think I'm confident in that statement. So, yeah, highest rushing grade for a quarterback for us this season uh, over the last month now. Top 10 in PFF grade. I think you put that out today. I know he's top 10 in EP per play over the last five or so weeks as well. You're starting to see things build there and a foundation build for Justin Fields in Chicago. Uh, over the last, I think it's since week five, he is PFF's highest graded runner, like rusher at any position, better than any running back. And I mean, I think that that's a, a huge place where his game has grown since he was at Ohio State and even Georgia. Like, I feel like he wasn't the best runner in college. He didn't have the greatest vision. He didn't look natural back there running the ball. But that's a place where he's really grown as a runner. And I don't I mean, this isn't a case where he's only he's a running back back there. He's got a lot of skills as a passer. He's got a big arm. He was extremely accurate at Ohio State uh, coming out of college, heading into the draft. So I think that there's definitely a ton of potential there and he looks like right now currently looks like the best quarterback from that 2021 nfl draft class uh, but that gets into my one up and that's jaguars quarterback trevor lawrence i feel like every week these one ups and one downs are dominated by quarterbacks from that 2021 nfl draft class but i know that we've been kind of critical of trevor lawrence but he had an 87.1 passing grade against the las vegas raiders jaguars came back from a 17 nothing deficit to win that game uh, and trevor lawrence played very well 25 31 235 yards one touchdown pass one big time throw and most importantly zero turnover worthy plays for trevor lawrence uh, that has been something that's plagued him, especially in the red zone this season. They've really been turning the ball over a lot during scoring opportunities. That did not happen in this week's game. So uh, certainly credit goes to Trevor Lawrence for playing well in that game. And yeah, right now, Fields, Trevor Lawrence, 
Davis Mills probably look like the best quarterbacks from that draft class. Uh, Zach Wilson definitely played a little bit better against the Buffalo Bills. Sam Ellinger probably looks like the worst, but Mac Jones not so far ahead of him right now. He's really struggling for the Patriots on offense. Uh, who's your one down from this week? Yeah, you had a great segue with the uh, the mentioning of the red zone struggle. See, Lawrence, I remember one one big time throw. He was getting hit, backed up into his own end zone, and threw an out route across the field to a guy. And it was a beautiful pass, and he got hit. Speaking of red zone turnovers, Aaron Rodgers is my one down. So yeah, you know, was it a biased one up, one down for Brad? You know what it was, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, three interceptions against the Detroit Lions, nine total points on offense, all three in the red zone. The first one to David Bakhtiari. Maybe it was a second, but they tried to do a little leak with Bakhtiari faking in the block and then leaking out. Um, credit to Aiden Hutchinson for reading it and kind of realizing he was going to pass rush. He realized, hey, why is David Bakhtiari, instead of blocking me, why is he running away from me? And quickly turned around. But then Rodgers underthrew the ball by like five yards. Like it, it would have been a touchdown with a good throw. And then he does this thing that he keeps doing where he presses. He really, really presses a lot. I don't think it's a a guy who's like rattled under pressure. I mean, the guy's seen it all. I think it's more like a... I need to play hero ball. I need to put this team on my back and do whatever I can do to get us to win this game. And look, it's the Detroit Lions defense. You didn't really need to do that on every single play. They did move the ball fairly well. They actually outgained them in yards per play, 5.1 yards to 4.6 yards. Like they were the better team on the field, arguably in that game. But yeah, I mean, three extremely costly mistakes for him. And, you know, the, the wheels are just falling off in Green Bay right now. Yeah, I think that there was a quote from Aaron Rodgers after the game where he said, um, I played like shit, but at least I didn't give up or something like that, which, yeah, sure, he didn't give up, but uh, he's certainly also not playing well right now. And there was another quote from another quarterback this weekend who said that you can't expect to win when your quarterback is playing shitty, and that is my down. It is Josh Allen. He had a 48.1 passing grade in this game. Uh, he had a much higher rushing grade. I think it was in the 90s, uh, but he had one big-time throw, Four turnover-worthy plays, only went 18 of 34 for 205 yards, no passing touchdowns, two interceptions. He did deliver a strike at the end of the game to Gabe Davis that Gabe Davis arguably should have caught. Um, you know, there was some contact down the field between Sauce Gardner and Gabe Davis. Wouldn't have been necessarily the easiest catch for Gabe Davis to make in that, that uh, on that play, but I don't think Josh Allen would be the down right now if the Bills had not lost that game to a Jets team, which was – completely embarrassed the week prior uh, by the New England Patriots. So I think that does kind of go to show that right now in the NFL, anything can happen on any given Sunday. Uh, but yeah, definitely not Josh Allen's best performance. I don't think we'll see so much more of that moving forward. I think that the Bills and the Jets do have a very good defense. They can rush for, uh, they can get off the passer without blitzing. They've got good defensive backs in the secondary. Obviously, Sauce Gardner's playing very well. DJ Reed's played very well. Uh, but yeah, it was... I don't know. It, it was interesting to see that the Bills aren't completely invincible at this point in the season and that they can still have some down games. And that probably does give some other teams hope moving forward this season. Uh, real quick, let's get into tonight's game. Ravens only favor by one and a half points in New Orleans against the Saints. But the point total is 46 and a half. Tight end Mark Andrews out for the Ravens. Running back Gus Edwards, doubtful to play, but that means that he at least did make the trip to New Orleans. What are you thinking about this game? 
Yes, yeah, hopefully that actually Ravens minus three, and I'm sure those injuries and also Rashad Bateman getting ruled out definitively right. is why it's now moved off that key number of field goal and come down. The total confuses me to no end. I, I don't understand. And I know that, look, BFF Greenline likes it, and we've actually been pretty good at usually going unders because as people, you know, betters know, unders have been cashing at a crazy rate this year. Uh, it's rare for, for Greenline to like an over this season because they just haven't been super profitable. Um, but it does. I don't totally – I can't say I see why. Um, you know, right. the, the Saints defense is a great unit. Uh, I guess, you know, look, Baltimore had a, a lot of time off from Thursday down to a Monday night. Long answer short, though, because that because I don't get the spread or the total, um, I like some props tonight. Kenyon Drake, under two and a half receptions, I like a lot. He did have four against Tampa Bay, but four for five yards. They were clearly bailout, check down. I'm getting sacked by Tampa Bay Buccaneers from Lamar Jackson, who historically does not love targeting running backs in the passing game. Drake did not have two catches in any other game this season, so he's gone over this one time. It just happens to be their last game. Um, and, and the Saints underratedly are not generating a lot of pressure. They're actually bottom five for us in pressure rate right now. It's kind of Cam Jordan kind of doing it on his own. Marcus Davenport is a good young player, but not playing quite up to his standard. And their interior with David Onyemata and those guys has just really not been a factor like it has been in years past. So for that reason, I think Lamar will probably throw less of those checkdowns to a Kenyon Drake. I think he'll have more time to maneuver, operate the pocket, and find somebody else. So that, that is my prop I like for tonight. A couple other props that PFF Greenline likes quite a bit. Uh, the under three and a half receptions for Isaiah Likely, under three and a half receptions for Devin DuVernay. Makes sense that it would be the under 18 and a half completions for Lamar Jackson, under nine and a half carries for Lamar Jackson. Uh, so those are some other props that PFF Greenline likes quite a bit, but I think I would go with the with the point total under. I know I hate to go against Greenline on this one, but I just I simply do not understand. Uh, one thing is that Marshawn Lattimore is out. He's been out for quite a while now. Um, and I think that you know, Alante Taylor, the Saints cornerback, played well on the surface against Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams, but he didn't grade particularly well in that game. And you could definitely see that there were some lost opportunities for the Raiders uh, to exploit that matchup between Devontae Adams and Alante Taylor. So after having a really good game last week against the Raiders, I could see uh, the Ravens going after Alante Taylor a little bit in this game. I just don't know who that would be throwing to because they – are like fresh out of any wide receivers in this game. I will say for the Saints, Jarvis Landry, questionable, uh, but wide receiver Michael Thomas out for the season, just like Rashad Bateman. So neither team will have their top wide receiver on Monday night. I think that will do it for this day's edition of PFF Wire. We will be back with you guys again on Wednesday. Then we'll be coming back for our Friday show as well. But keep it on PFF.com for all of your news and analysis. Make sure to download the PFF app we're putting a lot of news updates in there fantasy betting analysis all that fun stuff subscribe to pff plus only 79.99 a year and like i said make sure to subscribe to pff wire on apple spotify wherever you get your podcasts and yes those are those links are in the description below if you want to listen to us rather than watching us but follow brad on twitter at pff underscore brad follow me on twitter at doug kide and we will see you guys again on wednesday